Welcome to yet another episode of Game of Thrones Abridged on Alt Swift X. Today we are reading Catelyn 6, A Game of Thrones. And in this chapter, Catelyn does some travelling. Catelyn has had a pretty busy, rough week, actually. She's she's had a pretty rough time. Ever since she abducted Tyrion Lannister, there's been clansmen trying to hack her head off, and sleepless nights, and shadow cats, and now she turns up in the Vale, and things barely get any better. She has her bloody sister to contend with now, and, and frankly, Catelyn might have preferred the shadow cats, but we'll get to that. The chapter begins with Donal Wainwood. Donal Wainwood. What a name. Donal is running uh, a gate or something somewhere, some important position, I'm sure. Uh, and and basically Catelyn's arriving at the Vale. Uh, and Catelyn's like, uh, Catelyn, and Donal's like, wow, you, did you just come from the high road? Because like, you know, I mean, there's, there's like, clansmen and dangers and, like, shadow cats and shit out there, you know? And Catelyn's like, oh, oh, I, I know. I know. You don't need to tell me about the fucking shadow cats, mate. I'm up, I've got it up to here with shadow cats. I'm fucking, it's shadow cat central over here, mate. Don't even, don't, don't even shadow cat me. I'm, I'm serious. I, I know. Because she's had a rough week. She's been attacked by the mountain clansmen. A bunch of the men in her party have died, and it's been pretty shit. Although, Callan finds she can't even weep for all the men that have died for her. She feels as though her heart has turned to stone. As though she had a stone heart, you could say. Because, of course, Catelyn Stark eventually, in later books, dies and is resurrected as a vengeful zombie called Lady Stoneheart. So this seems to be a very early hint of Catelyn's future fate. Or maybe it's a coincidence. There are a lot of words in this book, and sometimes they sort of line up in coincidental ways. Unlike Sherlock Holmes, I do believe in coincidences. Uh, and so... And so, yeah, she kind of... She, she doesn't even have it within herself to give that much of a shit about all the men who have died. She finds she can't even remember all of their names very well. Poor Kaleket. Kaleket and and Jick and Morrick. What 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 memorable names. And <laughs> Catelyn can't re- anyway. Um and so and so yeah, she's had a rough time. They were attacked multiple times, not just the one time we saw in the Tyrion POV, uh and six of her men have died. And I mean, in the context of what happens later in the story, it is, uh, it is, it is quite something that that Catelyn is is harrowed by the death of six men and mourning the deaths of these six men when so, so many more men will die soon in this story, uh, and and for a while there, Catelyn actually thought she was rooted. She actually thought she was doomed when the last party. Of, of of riders came onto her group uh, when she realized, oh no, it's uh, it's it's men from the Vale to come and help us and save us. It was Gandalf at Helm's Deep. They're actually here to rescue us, and so her party survived the treacherous ride across the high road. Um, and and Donal Donal Wainwood is talking about how yeah, the high road's gotten more dangerous ever since John Aaron died. 
Um, the mountain clansmen have been bolder. Uh, if it was up to me, I'd fucking ride into the mountains and, and wipe them out. Wipe the f- floors with them, you know? Commit a bit of casual genocide, because genocide is acceptable against uh, sufficiently hairy, stinky, axe-wielding barbarians in these sorts of times. They hadn't invented the idea of ethnic cleansing as a bad idea then. Uh, I suppose. Uh, and he, and he's like, yeah, I'd, I would just go fuck him up, frankly, says Donald Waynewood. Uh, but Lysa Aaron, who rules the Vale now that John Aaron is dead, m- murdered by Lysa Aaron, remember, Lysa poisons John, uh isn't allowing uh, any fighters to go and deal with the mountain clansmen. She instead prefers to keep all of the swords within the veil. She seems to be being overcautious. Donal is like, what's she so anxious about? Is she jumping at shadows? Though, to be perfectly frank, it, it, it's it's probably not a ridiculous move to be super cautious these days. Maybe Lysa has read ahead and she knows how much conflict is coming to Westeros soon. The, the veil is, after all, pretty much the only kingdom, uh, apart from Dawn, which isn't savaged by the War of the Five Kings, so keeping your swords close, probably a good idea, honestly. Uh, and 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 then Catelyn's reflecting on the dangers of, like, the Lannisters and stuff, and she thinks about Tyrion, and she's, like, really kind of uncomfortable with, with Tyrion's circumstances now, because Tyrion is not only sort of armed and unchained in the party now, but he needed to be in order to help fight and stuff, um... But he's getting, he's kind of become BFFs with Bronn. They've become thick as thieves. Um, and, and yeah, he's he's just riding a horse and hanging out with the other, with the boys, with the other guys. And it's like, he seems to be pretty relaxed with his situation and more, and more comfortable and powerful than Catelyn would like. And she's also like, and also, is he even guilty of the crime that I've accused him of? <laughs> Catelyn's like, shit, mate, what if he's innocent? And and so that's a that's a worry. But she tries to push her doubts away. Because if you ever accuse someone of a crime they didn't commit, make sure to push your doubts away. That's always the 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 ethical uh course of action. Uh and and Sir Roderick is also here, and Roderick has has he's also had a rough time. He was wounded uh, in the fights, uh, and for a while it looked like he might die of his wounds during the journey. He's, like, really fucking staggering and having a rough time of it and looking like he might die. Um, Roderick is such a fucking, fucking trooper, man. He, he, so, he fights through so much shit, he survives so much shit, he's so loyal to the Starks, and he ends up getting his fucking head cut off by Theon Greyjoy or some shit, man. Like, what a ignominious fate for such a baller with such fine whiskers. No one with such fine whiskers should suffer such a fate. Wasn't like that in my day. Uh, and so... Marillion is also around. Um, so they're deciding who, who's going to go where. They're saying that some some folks are going to remain at this gate, while uh, Catelyn and Tyrion and the important people go on to the Eyrie uh, to meet with Lysa. Uh, and... Um, and and there's a maester at the Eyrie who can heal wounds and stuff, uh, but but he's going to stay at the Eyrie because Lysa refused to let the maester leave the Eyrie. He wants the maester, she wants the maester to be around her and her son Robert at all times. And so all that poor Roderick can get in terms of medical assistance is from a septon at the gate. A septon, you know, pr- power of prayer as opposed to, you know, the cutting edge scientific uh, medicine that, that maesters can offer. So, so Lysa's extreme caution is sort of 
at the expense of everybody else, it seems. Um, and they describe, well, they're, yeah, they're at the Bloody Gate. That's the name of the gate, the Bloody Gate, which is like this super well-fortified gate that's built into the stone. Um, it's played a big part in lots of historical wars because it's super, super, super effective at defending the Vale. Uh, it's a super narrow pass. And then someone else rides up. It's Brynden, Brynden Tully, the Blackfish, Catelyn's uncle. And a good bloke, by most accounts. War hero, in fact. He was the guy who turned up in season six of Game of Thrones, who died an ignominious death of his own, which is a bit sad. It's also a bit of a shame that Brynden didn't appear in season one of Game of Thrones. Uh, that that would have sort of made him more more memorable, more of a more of a figure for when he turned up later in later seasons. But whatever. Uh, so Brynden turns up and he's like, "Hey, it's little it's little cat. It's my little niece, cat. How you doing? How you doing, catfish? How you doing, little? She is a catfish, isn't she? Because she's a Tully, and she's Catelyn. Why don't they ever call Catelyn catfish? I bet I bet Ned does. I bet that's I bet Eddard's pet name." for Catelyn is, is catfish. Although, do you really want to bed a, a cat... I mean, a catfish isn't the most... isn't the most adorable of, 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 of aqueous life, really, is it? I mean, if you had to... if you had to fuck a fish, if you had to love a fish, would it be a catfish? I feel like it would be more like a clownfish or, or a dolphin or, or something. Uh, not, not that I want to... would want to, but um, I, heard, I have heard some have... But that's another story. Uh, so Brynden Tully turns up and he's having a chat with old Cat, and they talk about. And, and Brynden sort of represents Catelyn's childhood to Cat because he's old family from the days in River Run. So they have a bit of sort of sort of remember together for a while, and 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 Brynden takes his helmet off and he's got the same old smile and the same laughter in his deep blue eyes. I I think it, I think it's perhaps lazy the way like the way, like, people are characterised as being good people by having these... by ha- being full of smiles and laughter, and you can tell who the bad guys are because the bad guys smile without without their eyes smiling, and they... Like, like, like do nasty people really, like, behave in that sort of moustache-twirling fashion so much? And are the good guys always so fucking... Like, is that really how good people behave, and is that how you can tell? Or is it legitimate because, as a writer, you need to employ lots of sort of tools in order to communicate things about your character, and descriptions of their face is just one of the ways that you can communicate their general sort of, not only demeanour, but also their place in the story and their role as a positive force. So, like, it's maybe it's not so much about appearance as just using appearance as a way to describe character and to characterise. Perhaps that's legitimate. Uh, and so they're hanging out, and um, and 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 Sir Donald, good old Sir Donald's like, may we enter the Vale henceforth? Uh, because the Wainwoods are ever sticklers for ceremony. They're big on the pomp and the faff of the Wainwoods, apparently. And so Brynden slightly sarcastically is like, yes, sir, most certainly, indubitably, in the name of Robert Aaron, Lord of the Eerie, Defender of the Vale, and the true Warden of the East, I bid you enter freely through our gate hall and charge you to keep the peace under which forth henceforth the law shall be maintained and upheld in perpetuity. Amen. They sort of say all of those words. Uh, and and so they do. They enter the bloody gate, and they go through the bloody gate, and then opened up before them is the Vale of Arran, with all the mountains and the green fields and the lakes and the rivers. It's quite 
paradisical, pa paradisical, paradi there's a word there for how pretty and lovely. It's like the Garden of Eden with less snakes. That's what the Vale of Aaron is like. Ah. Uh, so they head in. And, uh, and George Martin will, I mean, even, even landscape description is opportunity for a food description as far as George Martin is concerned. So when he describes the lakes and the rivers and such, he's also describing the fields of wheat and corn and barley and the fruits and the pumpkins. There are very large pumpkins in the Vale, we're told, and that is essential plot information. Don't forget, pumpkins are from the Vale, lemons are from Dawn. Make no mistake. Red Doors, Lemons, Citrus, that's what Game of Thrones is all about. Uh, and they describe the Giant's Lance, which is this great tall mountain, a mountain so high that even other mountains look up to it. it it's actually more concise in the text, but it's quite a lovely description of a mountain, and there's a waterfall coming down the shoulder of the mountain called Alyssa's Tears. <laughs> because waterfalls are girls that cry, and mountains are big strong men, because penises. That's how it works. That's why boats are named after women. It's because they're shaped... Ew. Anyway, um, so then they sort of do some stuff, and um, and they're like, all right, so we, we need to get you to the Eyrie. It's it's up on the mountain. The giant's lance is going to take about a day to ride over there. And Catelyn's like, well, I've just spent the last week being fucking attacked by mountain clans, not getting a lot of sleep. Men have been dying around me. I'm carrying the responsibility of Tyrion Lannister, the son of the fucking Tywin Lannister, who I've kind of politically made a major clusterfuck by doing that. And also my son, my son was just almost assassinated, and also he's he's crippled. And my family, my family's been sent down, sort of broken all over the realm, but, but sure, let's just fucking continue <laughs> the, the the hassle and, and the long sleepless nights by another long journey beginning immediately without any rest or respite. Sure, TM. Uh, and so they do, they head off, but but yeah, Roderick Castle's like, uh, dude, I... I cannot fucking... Because Brynden is like, oh yeah, so it'll take a day to get to the mountain, and then it'll take another day to climb up the mountain to get to the Yiri. And Roderick's like, uh, you can count me out of the of the mountain climbing stuff because I've got holes in my liver right now, and I need to take a, a, a chill pill. Uh, and so Catelyn's like, I endorse that notion. You You take all the chill pills you need, Roderick. And so Roderick stays with the with the septum to get his wounds prayed shut. Uh, and, um, and so that sort of happens. And, and Marillion is also around. Marillion, the annoying kid singer who has decided, who's just latched onto this party. Um, he, he decides that he wants to see the end of the tale as he saw its beginnings, because even with men dying around him and dwarfs stamping on his hands, Marillion still seems determined to be a part of this misadventure. Uh, he, he, he has a haggard yet de determined look in his eyes, a fevered shine. He's a bit of a worry, this Marillion kid. Uh, and, and Catelyn thinks to herself, how the fuck did you even survive this, mate? Fucking seasoned warriors dying all around, and you, this, this kid with, with a, with a loot or some shit, is just sort of traipsing about like the bard in a and d party. Like, what, what do you do, can you, what? <laughs> Go away, that's sort of Catelyn's feel. Um, but, but she's like, well, okay, well, I, I don't really have any good reason to stop you from coming with us, I guess. So, all right, fine, you can come, Marillion. And then Bronn 
good old Bron is like, mm, yeah, I, I think I'll tag along too. Thanks for the thanks for the inv, mate, and all the old invite. Thanks for oh, yeah, I'll come. Thanks, yeah, I'll I'll come. Let's do it. And Catelyn's like, fuck, I don't want Bron to come. She thinks about Bron. So Bron, we learn has been this quite fearsome warrior during their fights with the Mountain Clansmen. The fiercest warrior, as fierce a, as fierce a fighter as Catelyn has ever seen. Um, but but Catelyn still does not like Bronn. Even though he risked life and limb to protect her, He she does not like him because there's no kindness in his eyes, and that means he's a baddie. Uh, and also he's a mate of Tyrion, which is a worry. Uh, and But, but Catelyn's like, well, I just let Marillion come so I can hardly refuse Bronn. I, I can't find any polite way to refuse Bronn as well. Uh, so so Catelyn's politeness uh, is is forcing her to do things which, which politically, strategically compromise her. I'm, I'm going to say now, if, if, if you're allowing your, your enemies into your, into your club because you're too concerned about politeness, I mean, if we're talking about life and death matters, my advice, just, just, be a little impolite if you have to be, honestly. Just, just. But I suppose Catelyn doesn't yet know the gravity of the shit that's going down at this point. Uh, anyway, so they're like, "All right, we'll we'll ride." And so they're riding up to the giant's lance. And as they ride, Brynden says, "So, Cat, like, do you care to explain what the fuck is going on? Why have you just turned up at the Vale with Tyrion Lannister, son of Tywin Lannister, your captive? What, what, what exactly is going on here?" And Catelyn explains. Uh, we get we get a little quick montage of Catelyn explaining. Uh, she explains Bran's fall and Lysa's letter about the Lannisters and the assassin's dagger used to try to kill Bran and how Littlefinger said it was Tyrion when it actually wasn't. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and Brendan listens and he's, he's, his frown grows deeper because he's starting to realise this is some heavy-ass shit. Uh, we talk a bit about Brynden's background, and so we learn how uh, Brynden is the brother of Catelyn's father, Lord Hoster, and he was always at odds with Hoster. Brynden and Hoster were always quarrelling, warring, warring, Catelyn says. Uh, and uh, Hoster said that Brynden was the black goat of the Tully flock. I think he means black sheep. I don't know, like, that's the expression, right? Black sheep? I don't know why they're talking about black goats. Maybe that's just one of those arbitrary Westerosi changes, like Sir being spelt with an E. But anyway, so uh, Hoster says that that Brynden is a, the black goat, and so then Brynden replied, well, except the Tully is a fish, so I suppose I'm a black fish. And so that's why Brynden is known as the black fish, and why he carries a black uh, fish as his heraldry. Uh, and eventually Bryn- Brynden left uh, Riverrun for good, uh, when uh, when Lysa married John Arryn, Brynden thought, eh, "Here's my out. I'll just go hang out in the Vale under John Arryn. He's a good bloke. I'll just I'll just fucking hang out there." So he got a job defending the Bloody Gate in the Vale and left River Run forever. And Hoster never talked about him since. Hashtag drama. Uh, so uh, whatever. So uh, and so oh, and so Catelyn remembers her childhood, and she was always really close to Brynden Blackfish. Brynden Blackfish was like was, was like a father figure to her whenever Hoster was too busy or or her mother was too sick. Uh, so Brynden was a really nice bloke who played a role in in the childhood of not only Catelyn but also Catelyn's siblings, Lysa and Edmure, and also even Peter Baelish, who was the ward there. Um, so Brynden was a top bloke. And they also mentioned that River Run better be warned because with all this political shit going on with captured Lannisters, River Run might be in danger. Because the North is quite remote, so it's pretty safe, and the Vale is super well defended with all the mountains, so they're pretty safe. The Riverlands, however, 
are kind of rooted, uh, and indeed they suffer quite severely throughout the War of the Five Kings to come. Um, and they talk a bit about some other minor political shit. Uh, so Jamie Lannister has been named the Warden of the East, which seems to be a sort of general title indicating that it, you command the armies of the, of the eastern part of Westeros or whatever, uh, and that deprives the Arons of a title that was that was traditionally theirs. So Lysa Arryn has said that, well, we're just going to pretend that we are the Wardens of the East anyway. So Robert Arryn, Lysa's son, is called the True Warden of the East, which is kind of an absurd, you know, just way to just ignore and pretend that the actual king hasn't said that the actual warden is Jamie Lannister, but whatever. Uh, and they talk a bit about Lord Robert, the Lysa's son and the, the, the official Lord of the Vale. And Robert is this sickly little six-year-old kid who weeps when you take his dolls away, and everyone reckons he's too weak to achieve anything. Uh, and with John Aaron dead, there are a bunch of suitors flocking to try and marry Lysa Aaron. It's like fucking the Odyssey up in this shit. Uh, except in this case, Odysseus ain't coming back because he got poisoned by by his wife. What was Odysseus's wife's name? I can't remember off the top of my head. Tell me in the comments. But it's it's it would be a bit fucked if it wouldn't it if if Odysseus got poisoned by. His wife. That's that's probably a different Greek story. Which which one? There is one, isn't there, where the wife kills the husband. One of the one of the Greek ones. Can't remember. Anyway, uh, so and, uh, so they're talking about how well it looks like Lysa doesn't actually seem to have any intention of marrying any of the suitors. It looks as though she actually wants to rule in her own right, even though she's a stinky ass woman and woman women aren't meant to rule things. And Catelyn's like. Hey, women can rule things too. Uh, uh, hashtag feminism, and then Brynden's like, "Well, the right woman can," uh, which, which I, I, you know, is a pretty legit call. I mean, I mean that, I mean that sort of sounds like a sort of all lives matter type sort of a argument uh, for better or worse. But I think what that kind of, I think, I think that's a good sentiment that Brynden says there, because what he's basically saying is that, well, instead of looking at people of, uh, instead of judging people's abilities by their gender, let's judge their abilities by their actual individual abilities, which I think is the actual sane attitude to take in all of these fucking discussions. Don't try to talk about which race or gender or fucking whatever is suitable for what, it's best to take things from an individual perspective and just go, well, is this person actually good at doing this thing? And if so, they should do it. I think that's possibly sanity, dare I say. Anyway, uh, so... And so Brendan then warns Catelyn that, by the way, your sister, uh, just... How should I put this? Has gone a little, little fruity loops in the head. She's got a wingnut loose, rattling around in a brain box. She's not quite as A-plus. She hasn't got as many raisins in her picnic as she, as might have been accounted for previously. And Catelyn's like, uh, what, what, what exactly are you saying? And and he's just saying, well, you know, hawks and handsaws and, and other metaf- and, you know, she's just a little, a few, a few fruitcakes short of a, short of a basket weaving, weaving individual is all I'm trying to say. And Catelyn's like, all right, I'll take that into consideration. But what he's alluding to is that uh, Lysa is a little wacky, wacky in the, in, in the face hole at the moment. She's kind of lost it. 
uh, from the perception of everyone else at this point. Uh, and so Brina talks about, well, Lysa's had a pretty rough trot the last five years. She's been down in King's Landing with John Aaron while John was being handed the king, and Lysa suffered during this time because John, you know, she didn't have a great relationship with John. He was always busy with politics, and she herself, uh, she had a bunch of miscarriages and and a, and two babies stillborn. Uh, and she's had sort of a really rough time, and all she lives for now is her son, Robert, who's this sickly weakling, and Lysa is afraid of all the political shit that's going on, and, and she and she ran away from the Red Keep so desperately and returned to the Vale immediately after the death of John because she was so scared of the Lannisters. And of course, this isn't an entirely accurate assessment, because we know that the real person who killed John Arryn was Lysa Arryn, not the, not the Lannisters, so... Uh, can Lysa really be fearful of the Lannisters knowing that, you know, the Lannisters didn't kill her husband? It's a little unclear what Lysa knows, because of course we know that Littlefinger is the one who's been controlling and exploiting Lysa all this time. Littlefinger was the one who told Lysa to poison Jon Arryn. So it's not super clear what exactly Lysa knows, but it is pretty clear that she is missing a few a few loops of of the fruits and the flavors. In in a in a glaven. That's 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 the situation. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, they're heading up towards uh, the Erie, the the giant's lands, and they cross these verdant green woods and sleepy little hamlets, and there's all this landscape, and there's lots of sort of landscape descriptions in Game of Thrones that we never really get to see in the show. All these just sort of landscapes passing by. It's like the Lord of the Rings. 90% of the Lord of the Rings is descriptions of hills, as far as I can tell. Uh, so there's a little bit of that in Game of Thrones too, though mercifully there are no elvish songs. Uh, and so they're heading up towards the giant's lance, and they reach the Gates of the Moon, which is the little sort of ca- the castle that's down at the foot of the giant's lance below the Eyrie. And the Giant's Lance is the seat of Lord Nestor Royce, who's a sort of a semi-minor lord guy. Uh, and they describe the, the 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 Giant's Lance above them, where the Eyrie... The Eyrie is, of course, at the top of the Giant's Lance, and there are these sort of way castles, these mini castles dotted up along the way. This is a truly ridiculous architectural feat. The multiple castles all built right into the face of this giant mountain. Truly something that could only architecturally makes sense in a fantasy setting, in a medieval one, at least, I suppose. Uh, and so they're hanging out there, and they're looking up at the Eyrie, and it's a pretty dope sight by most accounts. Uh, and, and Tyrion's like, oh, hold on, I'm a dwarf. Uh, are we really going to climb that gigantic fuck-off mountain? Are you for real? Um, and Brynden's like, now nah, look, chill, we'll just, we'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll sleep at the castle tonight, we're not going to try and climb up in the middle of the night, we'll just sleep here, we'll take it easy the next morning, we've got mules to carry you up the mountain, so it ain't even all that hard, chill boy. Um, and uh, and Catelyn is familiar with some of this, because Ned Stark told her about it, uh, because Ned grew up here uh, as a kid with Robert Baratheon and John Aaron. so Ned told Catelyn about what this place is like. Uh, and the three way castles, the mini castles that are sort of way stations up the mountain are called Stone, Snow, and Sky. Because you've got to get some of that assonance up in there. Or alliteration, I suppose. Uh, isn't it annoying? Like, if alliteration is for consonants and assonance is for vowels, why doesn't the word alliteration start with a consonant? That's just 
common sense, isn't it? Why fucking English, mate? Uh, and then, and then, and then he's like, but yeah, so Tyrion, don't worry so much about the climb, because it's cool, and part of the way, like, when we get near the top, uh, you don't actually, actually have to climb up on the mule, we can actually pull you up on a basket that's used to load up supplies, all these turnips and fruits and things, we can actually pull you up on the basket, and Tyrion says, would that I were a pumpkin, which is my favourite, my favourite sentence, would that I were a pumpkin, Tyrion says, uh, but alas, I cannot go up in a basket because I'm a Lannister, and my, my father, my prideful father, would be upset if I went up in a basket with the turnips, so I suppose I'll have to climb. So L- Tyrion really has internalised these Lannister values of pride and arrogance to his own disservice, I think. Uh, and and Catelyn turns and criticises Tyrion, she's like, you, you are so arrogant, and you are so so avaricious and and lustful for power, that's... Bad Lannister, naughty, hits hits the little dwarf on the head with a rolled up newspaper. And then Tyrion has a good line. He says, well, let me see. Uh, Lannisters, well, yes, Tick, Jamie is arrogant as fuck. True, confirmed. Um, and Tywin is indeed the very soul of avarice. He, he has greed for money. And his sweet sister Cersei, Cersei Lannister, she lusts for power with every waking breath. But I, Tyrion Lannister, why, I am as innocent as a little lamb. Shall I bleat for you? So Tyrion has a wonderful sort of description of his family and himself there. Uh, And then Nestor Royce comes out, who sort of runs this particular joint, and says, Yo, he's the cousin of Bronze Yon Royce, who's the father of Waymar Royce, who's the guy who died in the prologue. Uh, and will turn into a zombie. Uh, and um, and Nestor Royce says, by the way, you actually can't rest here because uh, Lysa Aaron has requested for Catelyn, just Catelyn, to be taken up to the Eyrie immediately. So Catelyn's like, whoop, I guess I'm putting off sleep for another 12 hours because it takes a long time to get up there. Uh, so Catelyn's like, shit. And then Brynden's like, are you for real? You can't climb up the mountain in the middle of the night. You'll break your fucking neck. It's too dangerous. But then... A girl comes out, 17-year-old girl, uh, whose name is Maya Stone, and she's the bastard. She's 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 a bastard around here, and she's wearing leathers and stuff, sort of masculine clothing, and she's like, yo, how, what's, what's up? I can take you up this mountain. No fucking problem. I was born on a mule. I am a mule. I can carry you on my back. We'll fucking hop, skip, and jump up this mountain like it ain't no thang. I'm the mountain queen. I'm the fucking goat king. Look at me, man. I got this. Catelyn's like, wow, I'm convinced. Uh, and, and, and yeah, one of Maya's lines is, yeah, uh, my mate Michael says, well, my, I, I climb so good, my father must have been a goat. Truth is that Maya Stone's father was a king, King Robert Baratheon. Maya Stone is one of the bastard children of Robert Baratheon. Not clear if she knows this. Anyway, uh, so, and so Catelyn, meanwhile, realises that this girl is a bastard, which immediately makes her go, wow, I don't actually have anything, anything against you, Maya, but since you're a bastard, you remind me of, uh, of Eddard's bastard, Jon Snow, and that makes me feel angry and guilty, so I immediately kind of don't like you. That's prejudice, if you want to talk about fucking prejudice. Just because she's a bastard and has nothing, and she, and she's got nothing against this chick, she takes issue at her being a bastard because it reminds her of Ned's infidelity. That's quite an unfortunate 
reason to dislike a whole class of people. Uh, but Nestor's like, no, nah, Maya's top shit. She's clever, she's goat feet, she's practically a satyr. A plus, would recommend. Uh, and Catelyn's like, fine, all right, Maya, take me up the mountain, it's going to be sick. Uh, and meanwhile, Tyrion and the other blokes stay down in the castle, so they get to chill out, but Catelyn has to soldier on. Uh, and, and so they head off, so they head up towards, there's like this sort of long stone staircase, it's like this narrow, winding, rocky path up the mountain, and they ride a mule, a little donkey fellow, up the mountain, apparently that's the safest way to do it, but it is dark, which is a bit spooky, and Maya's like, you're not spooked, are you? But then Catelyn's like, man, I was born a Tully, I married a Stark, I'm a, I'm a fish, I'm a wolf, fuck it, at this point... I'm a, I'm a mer-dog, like, who, sh- fuck, I got nothing to be afraid of. Come at me, bro, I can climb a mountain. So Maya's like, mm, alright, suit yourself, let's go. Um, and while they're going up, they chat. Maya talks about uh, Michael Redfort, who is her her lover boy, uh, and uh, and Catelyn's like, uh, and, and so Maya is hoping to marry Michael Redfort, and then Catelyn reflects internally that she's like, she that Maya is like Sansa, she's so happy and innocent and full of dreams, and she thinks sadly that in reality, Maya, being a bastard, would probably not be allowed to wed Michael Redfort, who's the son of a noble family, so unfortunately those star-crossed lovers will probably never get to, to wed as Maya dreams. Uh, I wonder if if Maya's dreams will be as harshly stripped from her as Sansa's were. Uh, and so they head up the mountain, and it's steep and twisty and dangerous, but the, but the mules are pretty reliable, and they reach the first way castle, Stone, which is this big, imposing castle fortress thing built into the mountain, uh, and they get to have a meal, charred meat and onions, still hot from the spit. Uh, which actually does sound pretty great. And the grease j- runs down Catelyn's chin. It's kind of a meme that George Martin very often writes of grease running down chins. It's like um, how Quentin Tarantino keeps showing feet. Maybe maybe greasy chins are George Martin's thing. I don't judge. Uh, and so they so they head on after stone, and there's another warning, oh, make sure the mule doesn't break a leg, this is super dangerous. It's interesting that there are so many warnings of danger during this ascent, and spoiler, no one gets hurt. Surely, at some later point in the series, someone's gonna break their fucking neck on this staircase up to the Eyrie. It'll happen. You, you, you wait. Uh, and so they head up, and it's dangerous, and there's wind, uh, and eventually they reach Snow, which is another smaller way castle, not quite as well fortified as... as uh, as the other one, but, but I mean, still, this is like multiple layers of castles on a mountaintop fortress. This is very defensible. Uh, and, um, and, and this castle only has bread and cheese to offer them, so zero out of ten would not recommend. They keep going, uh, and they, and the, and the mule is named Whitey, uh, that's racist, uh, and they keep on going. Uh, Catelyn reflects some more on Maya's naivety because she's talking about never having seen uh, the the deep winter up here when the snow is is all over the fucking place. And Catelyn's like, Ooh, "Winter is coming, child. You don't know shit." So there's more feelings of ominous doom coming, sort of sort of shit. Uh, and they and they keep on going upwards, and the steps up here are cracked and broken, and and it's looking really dangerous. And they have to pass through this very narrow, sort of raised, rocky path, 
which is like a meter wide, but on either side is just this fucking void, like this cliff. They have to cross like this tiny little narrow stone bridge across the void, and it looks fucking terrifying, and they have to get out and walk and lead the mule across. Um, and Catelyn freaks out while she's crossing. Despite all of her bravado about her bravery before, Catelyn gets a little a little spooked when she's crossing, and she freezes up while she's crossing this bridge, and she's like, oh, shit, I can't do this. Oh, God. And um, and Maya's like, come on, you can do it, you can do it. And they have a touching moment where uh, Maya helps Catelyn across. She relies on the bastard to help her across. You'd think that might help Catelyn get over her prejudice against bastards, but apparently not. Uh, so Maya helps Catelyn across the precipice of, of void and terror and doom, and everything's okay. You got to wonder if this bit about like crossing the precipice and feeling terrified by danger. I wonder if that, in some way, metaphorically, is analogous to what Catelyn is doing now by uh, capturing Tyrion Lannister and and the and the horror and danger that she's incurring by doing that. It's almost like the fear that she should be feeling about capturing Tyrion. She is instead feeling about crossing this bridge, which is, in truth, nowhere near as dangerous. Uh, so they cross and they reach the final way castle, Sky, which is a much simpler castle up this high. Uh, and dawn is breaking now, so it's been pretty much all night that they've been climbing up this mountain in the dark, on the mules, after all the shit that Catelyn's been going through recently. But finally, they eventually are at this last way castle. And so now, the mules can't go any further, so they either have to climb on foot to get up the last little bit, or they can ride up the basket with the turnips. And Catelyn's like, you know what? I'm not as prideful as Tyrion Lannister. I'm going to ride up with the turnips. Which I think is a very sensible decision. Don't be like Tyrion Lannister. Ride with the turnips. Uh, and so they head up, and um, and they meet Vardis Egan, who's the captain of guards, and they meet Maester Coleman, who's the maester. Uh, he's thin and nervous with too little hair. If if you were the maester to Robert Aaron, you probably would be thin and nervous too, I think. Um, and Catelyn's exhausted at this point, but she's like, fine, okay, I need to see my sister. My sister wanted to see me immediately. So she heads up through the Eyrie. The Eyrie is a very cool, impressive castle. Uh, it hasn't got stables or smithies or kennels because it's on this, you know, it's an isolated, tiny little mountain fortress. Uh, but its granary is almost as large as Winterfell's. So the idea is that the Eyrie is so defensible, all you really need to do is keep some food up there. And you can stay under siege, just sitting pretty for, like, yonks, because it's so easily defended with all these way castles and the dangerous ascent and all of that stuff. So they head into the Eyrie, and Catelyn is finally there, and she sees her sister, who she hasn't seen for years, Lysa Aaron. So everyone's everyone's around, and so they so Lysa immediately runs up, and she's like, Catelyn, it's so good to hear you, and she see you, and she hugs her, and she's like, oh, it's so great. Um, and Callan evaluates Lysa's appearance, and she thinks about how it has been five cruel years for Lysa, and the years have taken their toll, and Lysa looks fatter now, and paler, and, and she hasn't got the high breasts that she has before, because of course, a woman's, a woman's general well-being can be, can be judged by the height of her breasts. That's just, just how in men you can judge their moral worth by the, by the smilingness of their eyes, Women are best evaluated by the height of their breasts. Uh, that, 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 that's most appropriate, I think. Um, but the point that the writer is trying to get across is that Lysa 
has been a bit worn down by the by recent events. Although, of course, some of those events have been of her own making. Uh, everyone sort of assumes that Lysa is so stressed out because her husband just died. What they don't know is that Lysa poisoned her husband. So you got to wonder to what extent Lysa's troubles are of her own making, or at least of Littlefinger's. Uh, and so, so Lysa's like, oh, it's so good to see you, so good to see you. And then she's like, oh, by the way, me and Catelyn need to talk privately, so everyone else get out. Everyone else gets out, and the door shuts, and as soon as the door shuts, Catelyn, Lysa immediately loses the smile and reveals her true feelings, and she goes off at Catelyn, and she snaps at her, and she goes, what the fuck are you doing, sis? Like, this is not what I had in mind. I did not want you to bring Tyrion Lannister to my home. What the fuck are you doing? I want to be safe. I want to be cautious. Don't bring this shit on me. When I sent you that letter, I, I was saying, like, be careful. Don't get into shit. I didn't say, like, fucking bring the conflict here. What are you fucking doing, mate? And Catelyn's like, but you started this. How was I meant to know what your vague-ass, stupid fucking letter meant? Man, like, come on. This is... You're my sister. Be, be easy on me. And Lysa's going off at her. But then Lysa's son, Robert Aaron, turns up. And he's like, oh, I'm six years old and I'm so sickly. Can I have a tip, please? Uh, and Lysa begins breastfeeding Robert Aaron uh, before Catelyn. And Catelyn's like, oh, so really? This is the son of Robert Aaron? And they describe how sickly and shitty this boy is generally. Because if you're a man and you're sickly, that's almost as bad as not having high breasts as a woman. Being sickly is an indicator of moral disworth. Of course, th this is all unfair criticism of the series, to be perfectly frank, because there are lots of uh, trope-breaking uh, sorts of characters in this series. Like, for instance, Willis Tyrell is a crippled character who is, by most accounts, very competent and pleasant and interesting and, and complex in his own right. So it's not fair to say that this book is full of, you know, uh, uh, righteous, noble, smiling, handsome people and angry, evil, skeevy, little, nasty shit chucks. It's not as simple as that. George Martin does have more complex characters. Well, usually. Yeah. I'm not going to try and push a point here. Anyway, uh, so so Lysa describes uh, John Aaron's last words. Apparently, John Aaron's last words, he repeated the name of Robert, and he said, the seed is strong. Now, what he was actually saying was that the seed is strong, Robert Baratheon's children would have his black hair as a way of pointing out that the Lannister incest is a thing. But Lysa's interpretation of John Aaron saying Robert the Seed was strong is saying that Lysa's son, also called Robert, is is strong. His seed is strong, ah, which means he's a he's a strong good boy. That's Lysa Aaron's interpretation of John Aaron's last words. Uh, which is a funny miscommunication. Tragic miscommunication. Uh, and they talk about... And and Ka and Lysa coddles and mothers uh, Robert Aaron. She's like, are you, are, you, are you okay? Oh, you've got a... He's very delicate, but he's very strong. He's very delicate. He's my precious little baby. And he does all that stuff. Um, and Catelyn is sitting there going, like, for real, man? Like, like my, my youngest son, Rickon, is half the age of... Robert Aaron, and he's five times as tough. Uh, so, so the, the the mothers have their have their varying opinions of the strength of their children, uh, and and finally, like Catelyn's like, 
Oh, and then Lysa's like, look, don't worry, look, we're safe here anyway. Like, little Robin, he's going to be fine, we're all going to be fine, because the Eerie is impregnable. And Catelyn's like, look, no one is safe. The Eerie isn't truly impregnable. Like, the shit, we need to deal with the shit. And Lysa's like, no, we just need to ignore the shit and cloister ourselves up and breastfeed and just sort of pretend that our problems don't exist. And Catelyn's like, yeah, but, but no... And then, and then Robert, little Robert Aaron, extricates him from the tit, and he says, uh, ooh, is there a little dwarf man about? Do I get to make him fly? And then Lysa, in her most moustache-twirling fashion, says, make him fly? Hmm, well, maybe we shall. And that's how the chapter ends. So that was a lengthy chapter. There was a lot of sort of traveling and sort of moving and sort of stuff in that chapter. But there were some interesting bits. We got to find out more about Catelyn's childhood, Catelyn's relationships with, like, Brendan and some of those blokes. We meet some interesting minor characters like Maya Stone. And we also get to realize that, most pertinent to the plot, Catelyn's sister Lysa is is missing a few croissants for a bakery. You know, she's missing... She's missing a cinnamon scroll or two in the old in the old in the old brain box, uh, so which is going to cause some problems in the plot so far. Not the least for Tyrion Lannister, innocent Tyrion Lannister, who had just been strolling his way down the King's Road until he was dragged across half the country to answer for crimes that he did not commit. You can't, the thing about this story, the thing that's good about this story, is that you've kind of got to feel sorry for everyone involved. You've got to feel sorry for Tyrion, because he did literally nothing wrong. You've got to feel sorry for Catelyn, because she does have legitimate reasons to, to be worried for the safety of herself and her family. And the measures that she takes by arresting Tyrion are, though incorrect, ultimately just an attempt to, you know, protect her family and her honour and all such things, and she was acting on advice from Littlefinger, which she didn't know was a lie, so you got to feel sorry for Catelyn, and Lysa you got to feel sorry for, because while she did, you know, murder her husband, which is pretty reprehensible, she's also clearly, to some extent, a pretty vulnerable person who is being manipulated by Littlefinger. So the extent of blame that you want to place at Lysa's door is sort of up to you, but I think it, you've got to admit to at least some extent Lysa is a sympathetic character as well. And that's what's great about this story. There are all these conflicts between people who are all relatable and human and understandable, no matter how high their breasts are. So thank you for listening to this episode of Alt Swift X's Game of Thrones Abridged. I do hope that you enjoyed and that you will return for the next episode. Cheers.